A U.S. warship as well as commercial ships were attacked in the Red Sea as tensions escalate in the Middle East. And meantime, our vice president spent the weekend in Dubai at a climate conference. And spoiler alert, she managed to embarrass us once again through the fact that she has no actual clue what she's saying or doing. The show starts now. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Yesterday, Iran-backed Houthi rebels claimed responsibility for attacking a U.S. warship and multiple commercial ships. And I'm sure this is just the beginning because terrorists who have been well-funded by you, the American taxpayer, are just getting started. They are emboldened, funded, and even seemingly won over the hearts and minds of feral American liberals who have taken to the streets to champion the cause of jihad. The world is upside down, and if you're wondering why, well, look no further than this. The buffer zone, you didn't answer her question. What is the question exactly? Uh, Israel has been suggesting creating a buffer zone in Gaza, Madam Vice President. What is the U.S. view on that? We have not weighed in on that. Yes, they sent Kamala to address the climate conference in Dubai because apparently Joe was too tired. And as bad as the vegetable Brandon would have been, his plan B Kamala was almost certainly worse. Five principles guide our approach for post-conflict Gaza. No forcible displacement, no reoccupation, no siege or blockade, no reduction in territory, and no use of Gaza as a platform for terrorism. We want to see a unified Gaza and West Bank under the Palestinian Authority. And Palestinian voices and aspirations must be at the center of this work. Perhaps she should stick to Venn diagrams, school buses, and yarn shop photo ops. So let me bring in an actual expert to weigh in. Joining me now is former Deputy National Security Advisor, KT McFarland. KT, I've been wanting to talk to you about all this for weeks now, and I'm so happy that you were able to take the time. I want to just get your top-line thoughts on Kamala and, you know, the impression that she's giving the world on behalf of the United States while at a very important climate conference in Dubai. Look, what she said made no sense. I mean, I, I couldn't even follow it. It was so complicated. Israel, the United States and President Biden actually did a good thing when they embraced Israel in the very beginning. Now they're walking it back. 
They are still supplying Israel with weapons, but they're sort of giving Israel bunker buster bombs, right, to destroy the tunnels. But then they're saying to Israel, but don't use them because, you know, civilians might die. So it's a pretty, well, it's a pretty convoluted strategy, I guess, from the Biden administration. And as you point out, they have their political left wing and their their base of their party is anti-Semitic and it's anti-Israel and it's pro-Palestinian. So they have political problems over it. But what should the policy be? Let Israel finish the job. Let him go root out Hamas. Not only will it be good for Israeli security, but it'll be good for the security of the entire region. Because Iran's proxy forces, Iran doesn't have an army that it sends abroad. It has these proxy armies, Hamas in Gaza, the Palestinian Liberation Organization on the West Bank. It has Hezbollah on the north. It has the Houthis um, in in the Red Sea and in the Gulf. So punish these guys, you know, let Israel do its job to root out Hamas, and then we'll figure out what the Palestinians' future will be. But to give all these sort of preconditions, it's got to be solved, but you can't dislocate them. Two-thirds of the population in Gaza is dislocated right now. She not really kept track of that. And to say that all the countries in the region, well, they, you know, they're not going to, they are going to solve it. And the only way you're going to solve it is have to some People from Gaza are going to have to go to Egypt, and some will have to go to Jordan, and some will stay, and, and Palestinian territories in Gaza will have to be rebuilt and have an economic viability. And that's not going to be paid for by us. It should be paid for by the wealthy countries in the region. And Israel is going to have to defend itself so that Hamas does, Hamas 2.0 doesn't spring up. So I, I, I'm really not, I don't even listen to her anymore, to be quite honest, Tommy. She doesn't make much sense. Yeah, it seems like the Democrats are certainly feeling the pressure from their feral and rabid base that are taking to the streets to destroy almost every holiday tradition and every gathering for the last two months now. But I think they're also worried about Michigan because there's a a large Muslim population in Michigan. So I think that they're very concerned that supporting Israel and not going along with this pro-Hamas rhetoric is going to cost them in that very important state for them. But I'm wondering, and I want to get your take on this, because the ceasefire light that we had last week It was the pause so that more hostages could be released. Do you think that that was a sound strategy to negotiate with Hamas to have the release of these hostages? Or is that just setting up for more hostage taking in the future? That's my biggest concern. Yeah, it is. You know, what's the foreign policy of Gaza? Hostage taking. They know they can't. Hamas knows it doesn't win militarily against, against Israel. Knows it doesn't win economically. It doesn't even win diplomatically. The only way it wins is in the court of world public opinion. And they know that the world, you know, you scratch the world a little bit and it's anti-Semitic and anti-Israel. So they want to make sure that they have a lot of bodies and the bodies they want are their own people. It's really hard to wrap your head around the idea that, that, that Hamas wants its own people to die, but they do. They want their own people to die because then they want to hold those dead bodies up to the world and say, CCC, Israel's just horrible. We have every right to do what we're doing. And then what they're hoping to do is that the world turns against Israel and forgets about the massacres in Israel in October. And they're really hoping that they can exploit what you just pointed out, politically exploit President Biden so that the United States has to step back from Israel and maybe slow walk the military resupply or slow walk any intelligence cooperation or do this sort of schizophrenic stuff where um, Israel don't kill Palestinians. Israel isn't killing the Palestinians. Hamas is killing its own people. It is putting its people in front of the fighter. It wants dead bodies. That's what's just so hard to, 
to comprehend that there are leaders of any country in the world that want their own people to die in order to perpetuate their positions in power. Well, that's also the concept of jihad. So people that don't understand Sharia and they don't understand fundamental right. Islam, they're not going to understand why that happens to be the case for certain parts of that part of the world. But it is. But are you surprised, Katie, the number of Democratic representatives who just cannot even really bring themselves to just full on condemn Hamas. I have another clip. It went viral over the weekend. We've got Representative Pramila Jayapal sitting on CNN, even being pressed by CNN because she seemingly just cannot hold Hamas to account without also demonizing Israel. I want to play that clip and then get your thoughts. I was just asking about the, the women and you turned it back to Israel. I'm asking you about Hamas, in fact. I already answered your question, Dana. I, I said it's horrific, and okay. I think that rape is horrific, sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. Mm -hmm. However, I think we have to be balanced about bringing in the outrages against Palestinians. Yeah. 15,000 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli airstrikes, three quarters of whom and it's, are women and children. And it's horrible, but you're, you don't see Israeli soldiers raping um, Well, Dana, I think women. we're not. Katie, are you surprised at their inability to support the good guys and condemn the bad guys? It's really something, the mental gymnastics that they perform interview after interview on this topic. Yeah, I, I was really quite stunned to see the anti-Israel sentiment breaking out. I figured it would happen in Europe. And maybe in the in the capitals of Europe, where they've taken in a large Muslim population and they fail to assimilate them, I was really stunned to see my alma mater, MIT, to have those kind of demonstrations and to colleges across the country, and then these politicians who just somehow have to twist themselves into pretzels so that they can they don't want to have go against Hamas and the murdering, uh, the way that horrible way that these these wars are conducted in the Middle East. I, I mean. Do they really look at themselves in the mirror in the morning and say, that's okay? I guess. Or maybe it just doesn't matter to them. Or maybe they think it's equivalent. I, I just find it really difficult to, to see anybody supporting not only an organization, but the, the mindset of the Palestinians. You know, think about World War II. So the Nazis exterminated Jews in concentration camps. And the Nazis kept terrific records. But they kept it secret from their own people and they kept it secret from the world. They knew that what they were doing was wrong and they were ashamed of what they were doing. So they did it, but they wanted to make sure the world didn't hold them to account. Fast forward to where we are today and Hamas, they're proudly doing all these things. The Palestinian people who are supporting Hamas, they, you know, they take videos of, of dismembering little babies in Israel and sending them and calling mom back home in Gaza City saying, isn't this great? I just murdered an Israeli baby. It's, it's the sickness with which this society has has become infected is is just terrifying. And and to me, even if you get rid of Hamas, there's a real issue of what happens next with the Palestinians. Are they going to be capable of governing themselves? Do they want to, or they just want to go kill Jews? Because when they talk about, I mean, when she the the Congresswoman was talking about Palestinian occupation, as she looked at a map, the Palestinians are saying they want to have. Israel wiped off from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. What that means is Israel no longer exists, that the Palestinians are going to take over the territory that was never theirs in the first place, but they're going to obliterate Israel and they're going to kill every Jew that they find. 
in the region. And, she, and we have a congressman or we have people in the United States who are signed up to that. I mean, look, half of the people who are doing this and support of Hamas and in support of the Palestinians and anti-Israel, half of them are just useful idiots. They don't know what they're doing. They're just demonstrating. They're not really thinking it through. The other half have very malign intentions, and they know exactly what they're doing. And that's the terrifying thing. Whoever would have thought that there would be anti-Semitism in the streets of New York, in the college campuses of the country, where school teachers in Queens, New York, had to go barricade themselves inside their classroom for the for all they the big crime that they committed they were Jewish and they had moms of students attacking them this is happening all over the country this is a really sick place that Americans are allowed to do this and encouraged to do this and then cheap politicians who are sort of fanning the flames fanning the flames you even have Rashida Tlaib uh, echoing the sentiment that you just said from the river to the sea and trying to make people believe that somehow that's an aspirational chant when we all know good and well what she means by that. But we're talking about a, a post a post conflict Gaza, which is what Kamala referred to. But here's what I'm concerned about. Let's just say Israel is given the ability to go in and wipe out Hamas, which they should be able to do and they're capable of doing. After yes. the dust settles there, I'm really concerned that American politicians on the left and the right are going to want to go into that area and provide humanitarian aid and rebuilding efforts. And then that's just going to fund either Hamas or Hamas 2.0. How do we in that region do anything or do we do anything or are we just going to be funding an endless cycle of terrorism given that's that part of the world and that's what the majority of the people there seemingly get behind or at the very least are, are terrified to go against you know the united states is giving humanitarian assistance now it did in the obama administration we cut it off in the trump administration biden and, and turned it back on again and humanitarian assistance to the palestinians is really humanitarian assistance to Hamas because we're not handing out, you know, the bags of food. We're not handing out the bottles of water. We're giving it to Hamas and Hamas is doing with it what it will. And it's not giving it to its own people. It's using it for Hamas. And then what they don't need for Hamas, they sell to make money so they can buy more weapons for Hamas. So any kind of humanitarian assistance, it's got to be given to directly to the people who need it. But I look at that part of the world and say, you know, the solution has got to be found in that part of the world. We can't go in like we went into Iraq, like we went into Afghanistan and say, okay, we're gonna give you a government. Here's a constitution. You're gonna have free and fair elections. We're gonna, we're gonna order everything. We can't do that. Let the countries in the region who know the people, who know the threat, who understand what might work and what might not, and who by the way, have plenty of money, let them deal with the Palestinians after Hamas is gone. Some countries will have to take some refugees. It shouldn't be the United States. Some countries will have to go in and help rebuild the Palestinian areas that have been destroyed. What an opportunity for the Palestinians to have that kind of investment, direct investment, without Hamas creaming it off the top. So, you know, it's going to have to be solved by the people in the region. We can't boss everybody around because when we do it, it doesn't seem to work very well. No, and you can't force a way of life on people who might not want to adopt that way of life. And I think it's it's honestly really narcissistic of the United States to think that we can spread freedom and democracy and the republic form of government when some places in the world just simply do not want it. They will never want it. And the fact that we want to fund it and then watch it fail and collapse, I don't know how many times we're going to do this. I think it makes certain people very happy, like, I don't know, Nikki Haley and her special interests. But that, that's another discussion. Last thing I want to ask you, KT, is looking forward to the next two, three, four, five years. 
What do you see as our biggest threat? And, and by our biggest threat, I mean the United States of America. Which country, which alliance are you most concerned about? And what do we do to prevent that from happening? Well, China's the big threat. It's the country that is, has the biggest economy, biggest potential military threat. So we ought to be focused on China. We shouldn't be as focused on the Middle East and the forever wars or even the forever war in Ukraine. Focus on Asia, focus on China. That's where our future is. That's where our trade is. And we're not doing that. We're letting, we're not standing up to the Chinese. But, you know, everybody says it's, the and the world is on fire right now. Don't get me wrong, it's absolutely on fire. But the opportunity for the next president to come in, a Republican president, is, is just enormous. It'll be bigger than the opportunities that Reagan had because we can have energy independence. We can be the energy source of the world. Our economy is having some trouble right now. We're spending way too much money, but our economy has great opportunity for growth. The Chinese, not so much, certainly not the Russians. And if we, if we bankrupt our adversaries by having American domestic energy production, oil and natural gas, we have enough energy to power the world for hundreds of years, and it's cheap, it's reliable, it's de it's dependable, it's environmentally more responsible. If we do that, and a new president comes in and does that immediately upon being elected, we could see it, a period of peace and prosperity where the bad guys are bankrupted, our economy thrives, it's good for the environment, and as a result, the United States will be like the post-Reagan period. It will be what Reagan, Reagan introduced a generation, two generations of peace and prosperity. We have the ability to do that again, not with President Biden and Kamala Harris, but with whoever comes next and has some sensible policies, because we have all the natural resources, all the human resources that we need. We just need to do it. We need to do it, and we also need to solve the problem of young people in this country who are being indoctrinated and brainwashed, because no matter if we get a great president in office in 2024, beginning in 2025, if the young people coming up are this rabid, this feral, this stupid, uh, we are doomed anyway. So that's another part of the equation. Thank you so much, as always, for giving us some real expertise. It's so much better to listen to you than Kamala Harris any day. We always appreciate you, and we hope to see you in this next administration. Well, be careful what you wish for. Who knows? Ah, I love it. Thanks, Thank you Sally. so much. Happy holidays, and thanks for taking the time with me. Thank you. And speaking of holidays, it's giving season, and the brand-new Outkick store is officially live, so shop for yourself or stock up on gifts for those fearless patriots in your life and score 50% off for a limited time. All you have to do is visit shop.outkick.com. Last Thursday night, California Governor Gavin Newsom was murdered on live television by Ron DeSantis, Figuratively speaking, of course, but the savages takedown of Greasy Gavin was so bloody that L.A. felon friendly D.A. George Gascon even reportedly considered prosecuting Ron for the death of Gavin Newsom's presidential aspirations. It really was magical to watch in case you missed it. This is a map of San Francisco. There's a lot of plots on that. You may be asking, what is that plotting? Well, this is an app where they plot the human feces that are found on the streets of San Francisco. And you see how almost the whole thing is covered because that is what has happened in one of the previous greatest cities this country's ever had. Uh, it's also important to respect parental rights to know what curriculum is being used in the classroom and everything should be age appropriate. I actually have something that I brought that some parents have objected to. So this is a book that's in some of the schools in California, Florida. This is not consistent with our standards called gender queer. I, it's some of it's blacked out. You would not probably be able to put this on air. This is pornography. It's cartoons. It's aimed at children. 
uh, and it's wrong. So I was talking to a fella who had made the move from California uh, to Florida, and he was telling me that Florida is much better governed, uh, safer, better budget, uh, lower taxes, all this stuff. And he's really happy with the quality of life. And then he paused and he said, you know, by the way, I'm Gavin Newsom's father-in-law. So we do count Gavin's in-laws as some of the people that have fled California um, and come to the state of Florida. So is Kamala Harris. That's why they fought hey, the way, full openings when, when he Shame came in you, there. It's when they had Harris, that in Ron, it's Biden came Harris, into office Madam and he Vice brought in the teacher to union you, to be Harris. able to do all insulting. these different things to try to keep the schools closed. I could watch that on a loop and love it more and more each and every time, but I was actually shocked at how badly Gavin did. I seriously overestimated him. I knew he'd lie. I knew he'd sidestep questions, but I didn't know how unconvincing his performance would be because I seriously expected more from that sociopath with hair gel. But I guess I shouldn't be surprised because it's painfully obvious that these Democrats, like but not limited to Gavin Newsom, who are insulated in their deep blue safe houses, crumble when confronted by the other side. They can't answer because they've rarely ever been questioned in the first place. But here now to weigh in is half of the iconic radio duo John and Ken, a man who for over 35 years has been laying down the hard truths and exposing California leaders, policies, and tyrants for what and who they are. John Cobelt. John, it's an honor to have you. Thank you very much. So, John, I left California about four years ago, uh, deep in the heart of Gavin Newsom's reign of terror right at the beginning of COVID. I saw the writing on the wall and I got the hell out. I know that you are still fighting the good fight. I know that you are exposing everything going on in California, but I have a feeling that you were as excited as I was to see Ron DeSantis take on Gavin Newsom and perform as well as he did. Were you surprised at how badly Gavin did? Yeah, I was. And it speaks to his arrogance. I realized within about five minutes, he figured he would just wing it, interrupt DeSantis repeatedly, and just act like this snarky, oily, used car salesman, just billowing with lies and misdirection. And it wasn't working because DeSantis is like a machine. He'll, he kept coming at him with facts. And Sean Hannity kept putting up graphics. The graphics were key because you could clearly see in all these categories that Florida is a much better place to live. And I don't know how Newsom couldn't see all that coming. Uh, that's fascinating to me because these people know what they're doing when they're trying to mislead and lie. His purpose was to disrupt the rhythm of Ron DeSantis. But how he thought he was going to get around all the statistics by just ignoring it, or making up whoppers on the spot, I think he destroyed his presidential ambitions. I really do. I think he's done. Yeah, you know, I don't know if he's necessarily done because Democrats have a crazy way of coming back from the dead. I mean, Hillary Clinton is a perfect example of that. Joe Biden himself, another perfect example. But Gavin, you brought up the graphics. You know, when he has sat down with Sean Hannity in the past, he was much more convincing because there weren't the graphics. And he was able to just make up his own facts and figures. And they sounded good because he just said them well. But when you had the physical graphics there and they were from the CDC, they were from the FBI, they they were actual facts that, that couldn't be disputed. He still tried to dispute the facts as they were on the screen from liberal sources. But it didn't work this time because the American people could see the graphics right in front of their eyes. But he, he still tried his best, though, to lie, even with the facts in everybody's faces. You're right. He's a narcissist. But I don't think he's going away. John, I don't think he's going away. I, I, would th I think a lot of Democratic voters 
would look at him and say, oh, we can do better than this. Like he's he's a bad candidate for them. He's not only a bad candidate for people who aren't left wing Democrats. He's a bad candidate for them because you have to be able to create the arguments why your philosophy works better. And here you had all these graphs which clearly state that this is a disaster. Not only does it not as work work as well as DeSantis's philosophy, it doesn't work at all. And Newsom didn't even try. He really didn't even try to spin it. He just ignored the numbers and just filibustered with a lot of nonsense. Were you so I think other Democrats could do better with a much with a much stronger hand. Uh, the bench is not very states. deep, though. The bench is not very deep on the Democrat side because Gavin Newsom was supposed to be the knight in shining armor that was going to ride in and save Joe and Kamala from the edge of the cliff. But now, after that performance, you know, maybe that's been turned on its head a little bit there. But with, with Gavin Newsom, one thing that he did that also somewhat surprised me is that he really went to bat for Bidenomics and the Biden agenda. And I think that even Democrats watching that and, and listening to Gavin say how great everything was when it quite clearly is not, I think that maybe they were even turned off not only by Gavin Newsom, but by Bidenomics that they already know is failing. But to watch Gavin sit there and say, actually, things are great. I'm wondering if typical Democrat voters are going to be insulted by that. Yeah, I think they should be because most Democrats think the economy stinks. Most Democrats think Biden is senile. So he's 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 pushing up against two thirds of his own party. That's what's weird. This wasn't a a balanced fight between a conservative governor and and a liberal governor. This was Newsom against two thirds of his own party where the facts are clear. Everyone can see Biden's mind is failing. I mean, that's not a dispute. Everybody could see that the inflation has cost Americans about 20% of their income. So I don't, I don't know how you argue against that, but what he did was a complete wipeout. And I'm, I'm sure there are some Democrats, some, some other governor or senator who could make a better case than this. Do you think that Joe Biden is going to be the nominee for the Democrats in 2024? Because I have been convinced for six months plus that it was going to be Gavin Newsom. That debate performance maybe changed my mind a little bit. But do you think that they're still going to ride into 2024 with Joe Biden and just count on mass mail-in voting and early voting and ballot harvesting to get them over the edge? I think after Newsom's uh, performance, other Democrats will pile in right away because Clearly, Newsom, you can handle him easily, which I expected because we've been covering him for five years, 20 years. He can't take a punch. He doesn't like any pushback from a reporter. He gets tangled up in his words. He gets jittery and fidgety. And you can clearly see him. He gets emotionally thrown off. So I think other other candidates are going to smell blood on that one. I I don't see Biden. I mean, Biden might not be alive, seriously, in a year. They can make him the nominee, but that doesn't mean he's going to be on the ballot in November. I I mean, it's 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 almost comical. Clearly, he's almost he's literally almost done. And I don't understand why nobody in the party has the courage to blow the whistle and go on a public campaign saying, let's stop this from happening. Is everybody so coward? These political parties seem more like a cult to me, like a religious cult, where no one because it can insult the great leader, the great guru. I mean, isn't it obvious that he can't do it? Of course it is. 
Yeah, I think it is, but I think that they are so confident in their election strategy that I don't know if they mind so much that their candidate and their running mate are total disasters. So that does concern me. But besides just Governor Newsom and how horrible he did, I thought that Ron DeSantis was excellent, not just because he was against Newsom, but I think this is the Ron DeSantis that a lot of us have been craving for the last four or five months now. I think that Ron DeSantis is best when he's going against the left. I think in some of the Republican debates, he doesn't shine as brightly because he's having to tackle the Trump of it all and he's having to go after fellow Republicans. But when he is up against the left, I think he truly shines. And I think a lot of Republicans watched his performance and thought, that's the guy that we need to take on 80-something-year-old Joe or whatever the Democrats put in place. I was very impressed, and I think he did a great job. He's always been my favorite candidate, and he doesn't have Trump's baggage. I, I, I really would like the Republicans to win this one, and I really don't want to deal with the Trump circus anymore and all the trials and possible convictions and all that stuff. People on both sides have stopped thinking about winning. You have to win an election to change things, and there's no point clinging to two old guys from the past who had their shot, served their time. Things are not working out for either one right now. It's pretty clear to move on to a DeSantis type. And on the Democrat side, another governor or senator, not Newsom, but somebody else. I mean, this era, it should be over. And yeah. the, the par both parties should force this era to be over. The voters should force it. This and is the moment. Nobody wants a rematch. You're exactly right. Uh, well, and I, I'm glad that you said that. I'm glad that you're, you're speaking truth to a lot of this because, you know, a lot of us conservatives that are, you know, obviously public platforms and well followed uh, when we say that the Trump era might be over. We are attacked mercilessly for that by our fellow and I would say our fellow Trump supporters because I still consider myself a Trump supporter. However, I do favor Ron DeSantis, um, you know, and speaking to that as well, and speaking of trying to get this country back on track and having to win in order to do that, there, there's another issue that I know that you are obviously personally impacted by in California, and that's, of course, illegal immigration. California does have much more of a wall in place than other parts of our wide open border. But when I saw this clip put out by our own Bill Malusian and Fox LA of illegals washing up in Malibu of all places, John. I thought to myself, there is no way these rich people, I think it was actually close to Barbara Streisand's home, are going to put up with illegals in Malibu. What is your sentiment knowing the area era better than, than me and, and better than anyone? I imagine they're the same kind of phony hypocrites uh, that the people in Martha's Vineyard were when they got that, those shipments from uh, DeSantis. You know, they can talk a good game about being warm and compassionate and welcoming and diverse and equitable and all that. But when, when the illegals wash up on their shore, I'm, I'm sure Barbara Streisand herself was calling the police. What's going on? That, that, to those people, that looks scary. Right. That looks like a bunch of criminals have just invaded on the beach. And what's going to happen? Because with all the smash and grab robberies going on. You don't even know that they're illegal migrants. You might think that this is, you know, a, a bunch of gang members and now they're going to raid mansions in Malibu. So I'm sure their internal reaction, far different than what they would say publicly. I, I know some of these people. Many of them live their private lives far different than their public politics or their voting record.
Well, I would venture to guess that that will never happen again. Uh, I venture to guess that there's going to be security put in place to make sure that it never happens again because people that are well-resourced, they don't have to deal with the illegal immigration that everybody else has to deal with. Last question I want to ask you, and this is an important one because you're still in California sticking it out, so God bless you. Is California savable? At the end of the day, can that state, as wonderful it is, with all the resources and all the technology and Hollywood and academia and the beautiful weather and the beautiful coastline, is that state savable as we stand today? People have to vote differently, and it is. You saw that they cleaned up a section of San Francisco real fast when the Chinese president was coming in. So they can do it. And we're seeing now in Los Angeles, after the homeless guy started the fire, nearly brought down Interstate 10, suddenly they're cleaning out all these encampments underneath the freeways. I just read this morning they've got 15 they designated a priority. It's simply doing the job, getting up in the morning, doing the job, and enforcing the laws on the books. You do that, things can get cleaned up rapidly. But they they choose not to. Every day that they let an encampment under a freeway, they've chosen to do that. Every day that Gavin Newsom allows San Francisco to be covered in poop, he's chosen to allow that. These are their choices. They hold homeless people in such high reverence uh, and illegal aliens in such high reverence. You could say the same about the border. Three million people come over the border every year now because Joe Biden chooses that as a policy. Yeah, so you have to vote differently. It's pretty clear what they're about. Yeah, I mean, even if you vote for some Democrats, vote for moderate Democrats who don't believe in embracing this kind of civilization decline. Yeah, if, if only it were that easy. I would hope that California would see the light. I lived in California, a lot of great conservatives, a lot of great patriots there, but I feel like a lot of them feel defeated and they feel hopeless and they feel like they are such a small minority that they could never change it. But I hope that I'm wrong and I hope that they will stand up and speak out. And obviously you and your radio program do great things for that part of the country. And I wanna thank you for taking the time today. God bless California and good luck with Gavin Newsom. Thanks for having me. Of course. All right, folks, yet another study confirms it. Masks are useless. They are muzzles. They are and were tools of tyranny. And it's time for final thoughts. Unless used for skincare purposes, a Halloween costume, or simply to hide an ugly face, masks are useless. I've been saying it since, well, right around the time Fauci first said it before he flip-flopped on the subject three times, of course. Now, I'm not a medical professional or a scientist, but anybody with a lick of common sense knew that strapping a decorative piece of cloth around one's nose and mouth for hours on end while simultaneously pulling said mask up and down to speak, eat, and drink was not going to protect against COVID, especially as it pertains to children who have a very low risk level to begin with. But now, get another study, this time by the Archives of Disease and Childhood, and as presented by the peer-reviewed and highly reputable British Medical Journal proves... There is no evidence to suggest that massing children work to prevent them from getting or giving COVID. The face muzzles were and are just that, mouth diapers. Once again, the science shows that beyond just the mass, almost every damn protocol the tyrants used to infringe on our rights with science as an excuse for the entirety of the COVID era was either worthless or worse, purposely worthless. 
They shut down your businesses, though, anyway. They pushed your kids into Zoom learning anyway. They forced you to miss weddings, birthdays, funerals, and milestone moments in your life anyway. They masked you and your kids anyway. And they arrested the parents of toddlers who wouldn't wear masks on airplanes anyway. And they kept your kids masked and muzzled for years in some places anyway. And when you tried to speak out about it and against it, well, they labeled you domestic terrorists and submitted you to FBI watch lists. Even if you just dared to post about it on social media, they censored you, silenced you, or deplatformed you altogether, and they are still doing it. And even though the whole COVID charade has been unraveling little by little right in front of our eyes for the last two years plus, the ones who enforce the protocols, including the mask mandates, have yet to pay for it. They have faced literally zero repercussions for what they did. None. And worst of all, not only did we the people fail to remove them from office, some of our fellow Americans actually sent them back to school boards, city councils, state capitals, and Washington, D.C. You think our leaders will ever hold China accountable? That's a funny joke, given American elected politicians have not been even the least bit scathed by what they did to us, Republican and Democrat alike. And you know what? I've got to say it. My fellow Trump supporters refuse to admit that their almighty leader inflicted a lot of these COVID policies on us and hasn't really been held to account for those mistakes either. The COVID era was a trial run for communism in this country. And guess what? We failed. We complied like little sheep. And now that we know better, we are still complacent and complicit and have not bucked the system in the slightest. What makes you think they won't do this again? Whether it be COVID or climate change or whatever other made-up BS religion these people invent to scare us and then control us. The COVID tyrants pulled the pin on a grenade and walked away, and we let them. So shame on all of us. If you purposefully or blissfully decided to forget what they did to us for three years in the name of a glorified cold, well, you better brush up and recall it before they trick you into it again. And those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.